This week on Geek Explained, to celebrate the 27th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series, we're going to count down the top 10 episodes of arguably the greatest superhero cartoon of all time. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we can explain it. I'm your host, Eric Ozana, and today's episode is all about Batman, the animated series, which is celebrating its 27th anniversary. And because of that, I thought to myself, let's count down the top 10 episodes of the entire series. We're talking all four seasons. Uh, we're going to count all of that down in this week's episode. Also, we're covering the uh, weekly review on the... I think it's the fifth episode of The Boys. That's right, I'm taking my sweet time going through this show, and it has been so good, as well as our comics countdown. But first, let's jump into this week's news. guys and gals so news this week not a whole lot we've got our four categories of course film tv comics and miscellaneous uh we're going to start off with miscellaneous and um it is actually podcast news so i am celebrating that i officially got a new laptop uh so you are listening to the if you are listening to this uh i recorded this first episode on my new laptop that i uh I purchased really excited the mobility aspect of being able to bring my mic around and kind of shake up the locations of where I'm recording my podcast has been uh, fantastic so I'm really excited about that so that is some uh, local podcast news for me but in other miscellaneous news uh, the advertising campaign for the Marvel's Avengers project has been in full swing. So they are very active on their social media right now, especially on Twitter. And with that, they've been revealing uh, some costumes, some new costumes for the game. Uh, the one that I, of course, immediately picked up on was the Captain America reveal. And they revealed that one of the costume possibilities, we haven't really been... Uh, shown or given any kind of information on how in-depth the customization is but we did see that there are alternative costumes for these characters and one of them like i said for the captain america costume is his hydra cap costume i'm really excited i'm gonna admit something that i'm sure not a lot of people uh, agree with but i actually enjoyed sacred empire as a story the whole hydra cap saga was i thought really interesting and i loved the costume that steve wore during this time it was something that was different for sure but it really i felt updated and modernized some of the classic cap aspects while also kind of feeding in some of the ultimates stuff so overall i really enjoyed it and i'm glad to see it 
make its first video game appearance, uh, not including mobile games or anything, in this game. Uh, I'll definitely be switching over the default Captain America costume to this as soon as possible. Um, it's not perfect, but I like it way more than the default Cap costume, so I'm looking forward to it. They kind of did their own spin on it. They made it look a little bit more tactical, which is fine, but... They kind of kept the overall silhouette, the spirit of the costume, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, jumping into comics news, we got nothing. No comics news this week, which is sad, but um, holding out hope for some more uh, news, hopefully talking about maybe where uh, Doctor Strange goes after issue 20, which is the wrap-up for the Mark Wade run with uh, Jesus Saez. Uh, also, hopefully we're going to get some news about what's going on with this Marvel incoming thing that's supposed to be happening at some point in the fall. Uh, I will keep you guys and gals updated on that jumping into film news we have uh three pieces of news for you today we're going to start off with the sad one and then we'll get into the uh the more high-spirited stuff but we got official confirmation from sony executives that the sony disney spider-man deal is and i'm quoting them here the door is closed for now so uh, looks like the further negotiations that they were under this past week and a half did not go anywhere, so we will see exactly where that goes. I'm not really uh, expecting anything from it, but I'm hopeful, and uh, we will just have to see where this goes down the line. In happier news, uh, over on the DC side, they unveiled their first teaser for Birds of Prey, which released, I want to say, on the same day that IT Chapter 2 released, and uh, it was kind of like the opening was like a play on the initial it advertising with like the really creepy Pennywise theme and the balloons coming up and Harley Quinn comes and pops the balloons, says she's so over clowns. And then we get kind of a sizzle reel of like different scenes, different characters. It looks good. It looks visually interesting, which I will say was the same thing I said about the Suicide Squad trailer. So I will hold out judgment until we get a full trailer and then... When the movie comes out in February, you will be hearing all about it. But uh, I liked what I saw here. I really enjoyed it. And then we do know that they've also been going through a lot of uh, reshoots, mostly to tighten up like their action pieces. They brought in the uh, stunt director from John Wick. So those should be good, and I'm looking forward to it. And then finally in film news, we have casting news for the newest Mission Impossible film, and Haley Atwell has officially joined the cast. Um, they sent out like a tweet, basically, with a, uh, a picture of Haley Atwell saying, your mission, should you choose to accept it? And of course, Haley Atwell accepted, and I'm excited. I love Haley Atwell as an actress. I just actually watched her on Black Mirror. I've been catching up on Black Mirror after hearing so much about it for the past few years, and I'm super late, but I've been really enjoying it so far. Uh, the episode with her, I thought, was specifically really, really strong. So I'm excited for her. I'm glad that she's getting more film gigs because she is too good of an actress and too good of a performer to just be relegated to uh, just Marvel stuff. So I'm really excited for her and I'm looking forward to more casting announcements and hopefully a trailer or two coming soon from Mission Impossible. And then jumping over to TV news, uh, we have the premiere of Titan Season 2, 
I watched it. Um, it was fine. It was fine. A lot of stuff you can kind of tell was supposed to be for a season finale. The episode as a whole really feels like a season finale it doesn't feel like a season premiere because they're wrapping up a bunch of different plot lines characters are meeting each other for the first time and you normally see all this stuff when like everything's kind of coming together to wrap up at the end and for me it i don't like that they did this I think this stuff should have been kept as a season finale because all of the stuff that happens feels really um I don't know, really cut short. Like, Trigon wrapped up in this episode. Like, sorry, spoiler warning. But, like, he doesn't have any big, you know, grandiose act after he comes to our world. He basically shows up. uh, Raven puts him in his place. And he's done. He's banished forever. He's dead. So... It was fine. I I think a character like Trigon deserves a bigger stage than what he got, but I wasn't overly impressed by the characterization of Trigon in the first place, so I'm fine with moving on from him. Uh, we got more Jason Todd, which all thumbs up from me. Um, certain characters meeting each other for, for the first time, Jason Todd meeting Hawk and Dove, and then Jason kind of being brought into the Titans' ranks, and then... Um, at the end, they show Deathstroke kind of gearing back up. We see he's been out in the wilderness doing his uh, his Farmer Rick thing from Walking Dead. And he sees, you know, the news coverage of the Titans are back. And so he immediately gives himself a shave down to his uh, traditional goatee. I loved that. I loved seeing the classic goatee, the white hair, the eye patch. And he walks into his armory. His armor's there. And uh, yeah, really, really excited to see Deathstroke and see what he brings to the show. Uh, and then the end of the episode was Dick bringing uh, Raven, or I guess Rachel, sorry. Rachel, Beast Boy, and Jason Todd to Titan's Tower, which was really exciting until you realize that it's just another building in San Francisco which is fine, like, if that's what it wants to be, if that's how they want to do it, but I really wanted to, uh, I really wanted the tower to be the giant T, which I know is very comic booky slash cartoony, but I would have loved it. I would have absolutely loved it. Um, and they even, they teased it, too, because they showed everyone walking in, going through the halls, checking out the new rooms, and then it starts to pan out like pan out of the window and I'm like we're seeing it we're going to see the giant T and then it's just like a like a office suite in another building in San Francisco somewhere so I was a little disappointed by that um I'm probably going to wait until the season kind of all wraps up so I can binge it like I did for the first season but I will say the uh the premiere gives me hope that it's going to be a better show than season one was i made it very clear that i wasn't super impressed by it but i'm looking forward to this i'm really looking forward to see what they uh bring to it i'm really excited about uh deathstroke and what he's going to bring to it jason being there really i think changes the complexion of the group because jason i think was one of the most successfully adapted characters in the first season and i'm really looking forward to seeing what he brings to the show now that he's a season regular but overall uh like i said the premiere felt more like a finale and it was paced weirdly but i really hope 
that the uh, the show is going to pick up from there. So looking forward to it. And then finally in TV news, uh, we got a big, uh, I guess, showcase reveal, whatever, for The Flash going into the uh, sixth season as well as the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover later this year, which of course we will be covering in our weekly review series. And we get to see his full suit. We saw teases of it in the covers that were released showcasing uh, new costumes for Oliver and for Barry, but we saw his new costume from the neck down. We saw it was basically the season five costume recolored with more uh, yellow lining, yellow like piping, highlighting, kind of similar to the new 52 costume, which I liked. I thought that the weird like magenta purple aspects on the season five suit really threw off the aesthetic of that for me so i'm glad that they made it just a flat red with the uh, yellow piping i think that looks perfect but then we finally got to see what the cowl looks like and oh my god guys it's just it, it looks so good it looks so good we first saw it from a uh, like a I don't know if it's a set photo or it's considered like a screen capture or whatever, but we see it from the side. It looks good. He's got the chin strap again, but he's got the bolt ears, not or not the like the ear bolts that he's had so far in the series, which are basically just flat lightning bolts. He actually has like the ear bolts that like extend out and kind of go backwards. If you just look up the flash, you will see what I'm talking about, but it looks so good. The cowl actually looks like it's sort of somewhat made of cloth, which I'm really excited for, and I'm glad that they are going to find some way for him to be able to turn his head, hopefully, um, because they have perfected the neck down of the suit, with the exception of the yellow boots, which I still want. But the cowl looks fantastic, and they followed that up with a poster for The Flash Season 6, which gives us a full... Uh, uh, face-on look of the cowl and it looks fantastic they've got like a uh, lightning bolt design that's really prominent it looks like a fabric cowl uh, which I'm sure is just like I want to say like latex foam with uh, fabric probably like mounted over it or something but it looks great it blends into the costume well uh, it doesn't look like weirdly bobbleheady or anything like that. So I really like it. And I think it looks really, really, really good. So really looking forward to all of the new costumes from both Arrow to Flash to Supergirl. And I'm really excited for Crisis. We are going to be covering that. Believe you me, that episode is coming for sure. And that is going to do it for the news for this week. So we are now going to kick it over to the main course of the episode, the entree, if you will, which is counting down the top 10 episodes of Batman, the animated series. My first exposure to Batman, his rogues gallery, his supporting cast, was in Batman the Animated Series, which debuted on Fox Kids on September 5th, 1992. So this year, uh, we are officially celebrating its 25th, no, 
27th uh, anniversary. Batman the Animated Series is 27 years old. And I thought to celebrate that, we should count down the top 10 episodes. I've been thinking about it ever since I realized, oh man, it's going to be 27 years on the 5th. We should probably talk about it. (laughs) So... I started thinking about it. I thought about, you know, the episodes that really spoke to me, really spoke to what I love about the character and what I love about the show. And I came up with a list. This is just the product, the result of lots and lots of thinking, lots of rewatching episodes, um, pushing past my nostalgia while also at the same time letting it flourish. So, um, I'll, we'll pu- I will put up the disclaimer right now. This is my opinion. This is my list. If you disagree, feel free to let me know. I would love to have that conversation with you. You can let me know on either of our social media, Instagram or Twitter, at Pod. That's at Pod, Or through email, because I'm an old man and I still read emails, to geeksplained at gmail.com. So I compiled this list. I'm going to tell you each... Uh, each episode ranked, this is an official ranking, this is not uh, arbitrary, I have them ranked from 10 to 1 of the top 10 episodes. I'll be giving you the synopsis of each and then I'll tell you a little bit about why I think it's in the position that it's in. So let's go ahead and kick the uh, list off with number 10, which is POV. POV is an episode from the very first season of Batman the Animated Series, and the synopsis goes a little like this. A criminal bust organized by Detective Bullock goes wrong. Later, at the interrogation room, conflicting perspectives are offered by the three cops involved, Bullock, Montoya, and Wilkes. After being suspended from service, it is up to Montoya to find the truth and clear her name. What she doesn't know is that she's going to have to team up with Batman to do it. So POV was one of the very first episodes that I ever saw of the show, and I think it's one of the most well-crafted episodes that the show ever produced. Honestly, if you haven't watched this episode, you need to go and watch it. I think it is one of the most underserved and underappreciated episodes, and I'm sure a lot of people are like, POV, that's in your top 10? But I honestly, I love it. And that's strictly because of the uh, narrative of the episode. The episode as the synopsis talks about, basically goes through three different points of view of the same events over the course of one night. The POV of Bullock, Montoya, and Wilkes. Harvey Bullock, we know. Rene Montoya, we know. But Wilkes, Wilkes is a new character. He's a Uh, He's a rookie on the GCPD, and so his perspective is different from Montoya's perspective, which is different from Bullock's perspective. So I love these kind of um, uh, non-linear narratives. The plot is fantastic. You don't really know exactly what the truth is because all of them are coming from a different bias. All of them are coming from a different uh, belief system. And I really, really like the way that they set everything up here. It's one of the episodes that I can always go back to if I'm looking for something to really uh, 
kind of engross my attention because you have to pay attention to different events in each of their recollections because it's basically an interrogation room talking about the perspectives of each of them on the same events and they oh it's so good it's so good because bullock comes from this place of i would honestly say is similar to j jonah jameson with spider-man he already has his mind made up about batman he does not like his uh his um what is it called his uh his impact on the criminal element uh, montoya has kind of a more shaky uh, relationship. She doesn't know exactly what to believe when it comes to Batman. And then Wilkes comes from a place of superstition. He doesn't even know if Batman is really real, but what he does know is that Batman is doing good work. So what ends up happening, of course, as all of these kind of situations is, and I'm going to be super light on spoilers when it comes to these episodes, because I want you to go back and watch these episodes. Um, ends up being you know somewhere in the middle like you would expect it but a lot of things are twisty and turny and i really enjoy it so that is my number 10 pov which officially aired on september 18th of 1992 at number nine we have mad love mad love is an episode in season four which is the new batman adventures also known as the red sky series for some people uh it officially aired on january 16th of 1999 that's right we're jumping almost seven years between our number nine or our number 10 and our number 9 spots. And Mad Love is a story that everybody knows. Even if you've never watched the episode, even if you have never watched the series, everyone who has any kind of basic understanding of Batman or his rogues gallery has heard of Mad Love. And what Mad Love is, is the origin of Harley Quinn. This is the episode that everyone points back to when they think of Harley Quinn, like what her character is, even as it's kind of evolved into a whole different character from where it started initially. A lot of people know what Mad Love is. And Mad Love, I think, deserves a place on this list because it it's just a fantastic story. It is a story talking about, um, to be blunt, you know, domestic abuse and how um, that can turn into something really harmful, not just for the people involved, but for the people who are in any way in contact with them. Uh, this is also a really interesting episode because it shows the really awful parts of the dynamic between Harley Quinn and the Joker. Uh, a lot of people I've seen recently, especially um, younger people, have been like, oh, you know... I want a relationship like Harley and Joker. And it's, I can understand how a lot of people in today's culture, when they see specific um, iterations of the character, like how they treated the relationship in Suicide Squad, um, look at it as like, oh, they're so in love. But if you really want a clear, absolutely crystal clear view into what their relationship is, you watch this episode. This episode is a blunt, honest, and honestly really uh, depressing kind of view on that relationship. And it shows just how far into uh, this spiral, this um, down the rabbit hole, Harley Quinn is with her love and her admiration for the Joker, which we can see is mostly one-sided. 
But with mo as with most, you know, abusive relationships, the Joker keeps her hanging on just enough to feel like she is getting the attention that she wants from him. And it's depressing. It's sad, but it's real. And I I enjoy the perspectives on this. We also get to see uh, Harley Quinn do what the Joker could never do, which is basically get Batman in a position that he couldn't escape from. She beat him. And the way that everything kind of falls apart after that i think is really good uh we also get to see like i said the origin of harley quinn how she came to be she was originally a uh animated series only character created for the cartoon by paul dini and bruce tim and even though she has exploded in popularity and has had all different kinds of uh adaptations and takes on her since her inception this really speaks to the heart of the character and why i think she's not just one of the most interesting characters in batman's rogues gallery but one of the most tragic characters in all of dc comics so that is our number nine at number eight we have over the edge over the edge is also an episode from uh, season 4, also entitled The New Batman Adventures. It was initially aired on May 23rd in 1998. And Over the Edge, I think, is one of the most popular episodes to show up on lists like this. If anyone does a top 10 Batman the Animated Series episodes, there's a pretty good chance that this episode is on there. And for good reason. So... Uh, let's talk about the synopsis for Over the Edge. During a fight with the Scarecrow, Batgirl is ambushed on a rooftop and falls to her death. Having watched his daughter's demise, Jim Gordon blames Batman for her fate and vows revenge. So this is an episode that I think took a lot of people by surprise when it first aired. It definitely took me by surprise for sure, because it seems so out of left field. When you hear that synopsis, you automatically think like, I don't know what's going on. This is what's happening here. And the episode begins just that way you know they're uh battling the scarecrow scarecrow knocks batgirl off of the basically the roof of a building and it's so i think it's so incredible after she gets knocked off the building the uh point of view suddenly shifts to bullock and harvey or uh bullock <laughs> bullock and harvey uh bullock and gordon in the police car on the way to the scene of the crime when batgirl just bounces off the hood of their car having fallen all of that way and she is just oh my god she's wrecked it's so incredibly sad uh gordon p pulls off her mask and finds out that it's his daughter and then from there it just goes off the rails or over the edge if you will so basically the episode is all about gordon hunting every member of the bat family down using the gcpd revealing that he's kind of always known that batman was bruce wayne and he's basically just i don't know kind of let it slide this entire time but he's not doing that anymore and it is fan freaking tastic it's so good you get to see exactly what would happen if this uh, if this scenario ever took place, you see how good 
Gordon is able to outwit and outmatch Batman at every turn. Uh, we see how it impacts Tim, how it impacts Alfred, how it impacts Nightwing. And overall, it is one of the strongest episodes, just from an emotional perspective, on how easily Gordon could shatter the lives of Batman and his entire Bat family if he so chose. And that's one of the things that I find really exciting about uh, the year of the villain right now in DC Comics, where Gordon has been turned and corrupted into a minion of the Batman who laughs. Just what he can do to bring down the entire Bat family just from his connections and his knowledge of what they bring to the table. So it's incredibly sad. It is something that I think is one of the most shocking episodes of the series uh there were multiple times i remember watching it for the first time where i just loudly gasped or just shouted you know things at the tv and even now like if you come to it with fresh eyes it's still very shocking in its delivery so i love this episode it is a fantastic uh almost what if kind of story and it definitely deserves its place at number eight at number seven we have heart of Ice. Heart of Ice was an episode back in the first season of Batman the Animated Series. It debuted and aired on September 7th of 1992. This was one of the very first episodes to air on uh, on TV. And yet it's weird how the, uh, the actual air dates don't line up with the season order. It's a whole thing. But this episode has the distinction of being the very first episode of Batman the Animated Series to win an Emmy. And it won an Emmy for Outstanding Writing in an Animated Program. And this was also the very first episode to take a previously, um, a previously known Batman villain and completely, and I mean completely, revamp that character and make them even better than their debut. So as you can tell from the title of the episode, Heart of Ice, this episode does focus on Mr. Freeze, and it is just one of the best episodes in the entire series. So let's jump into the synopsis. Unusual cold-related crimes have been targeting Gothcorp Industries, and Batman is forced to intervene against the mastermind criminal who calls himself Mr. Freeze. Using high-technology equipment and motivated by the only thought of revenge, Freeze is able to overpower the vigilante, and soon he makes way for his ultimate target, the CEO of Gothcorp, Ferris Boyle. So this is an episode that really elevates the show from fun Saturday morning to one of the most influential pieces of my childhood. <laughs> so... This episode completely recontextualizes the character, and I'm going to set the stage a little bit for you. So prior to this, prior to this episode, both in the comics and however else he was presented, Mr. Freeze was your generic bank-robbing criminal who his gimmick was he used a freeze gun. Nothing really set him apart from other characters like Icicle Jr., Captain Cold, um, Killer Frost, characters like that who were basically just criminals for the sake of being criminals, and they had an ice gimmick. This episode changed 
everything for that character. Um, this gave him a tragic backstory where he is trying to find a cure for his terminally ill wife who he has on a cryogenic freeze until he can find a way to cure her. We also see how he became Mr. Freeze and why he does the things he does. Uh, one of the quotes i gotta look this up because the writing and it makes sense that this won an emmy the writing here is so well done um i'm looking up i'm vamping right now because i am trying to find this quote uh where are you but anyway this episode i think was one of the very first episodes where i went oh wait a second, villains can have, like, motivations. You can understand why these characters do the things they do, even if, you know, you don't agree with what they do. Okay, so here's here's the quote. This is from Mr. Freeze, and I'm just going to say it because I cannot deliver this line and do it justice. Think of it, Batman. To never again walk on a summer's day with the hot wind in your face and a warm hand to hold. Oh yes, I'd kill for that. And there's also, this is how I shall always remember you. Surrounded by winter, forever young, forever beautiful. Rest well, my love. The monster who took from you... The mo- I'm going to try that again. The monster who took you from me will soon learn that revenge is a dish best served cold. And then finally, I'm just going to give you one more. I failed you. I wish there were another way for me to say it. I cannot. I can only beg your forgiveness and pray you hear me somehow, someplace, someplace where a warm hand waits for mine. And it's just like, oh my god, this is a Shakespearean tragedy. This character is, you know, incredibly, incredibly dick. Just incredibly deep his motivation is there his pathos is there his entire character was revamped by this one single episode of a cartoon and made him one of the most iconic batman villains if not one of the most iconic dc comics villains of all time um Many, many different attempts have been made to revamp this character since this, including in Season 4 during the new Batman Adventures where they tried to revamp the character again, all to not very good reception. Because once you did this, once you, uh, in my opinion, fixed this character, there was just no going back or no making this any better than he could be because he is fantastic. And this episode is an absolute gem of, uh, of animated cinema, if you will. Next up, at number six, we have... Wait, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, so number six, we have Old Wounds. This is an episode of season four, a.k.a. The New Batman Adventures, and was uh, officially aired on October 3rd of 1998. Let me find the synopsis real quick. Da, 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 da. Where are you? There you are. All right. So the synopsis for the episode goes like this. When on patrol on his own, Robin runs into Nightwing, and he tells Robin the story of how he and Batman grew apart. So, very simple premise. We see the new Robin, Tim Drake, run into the old Robin, Dick Grayson, who is now Nightwing, and it 
gives us some answers that we had been waiting on since the beginning of this um of this iteration of the show now this episode or this season had let me see here how many episodes this season had 20 uh 24 episodes not including the cro- the world's finest crossovers as well as the cross the other superman crossovers and this season let the whole how did Dick Grayson leave being Robin to become Nightwing uh, mystery just marinate until episode 18. We're over halfway through this season and this mystery has just been kind of building with little subtle digs here and there until we finally get to this episode. And I, I know that there will be people who do not think that this belongs in the top 10. And I understand that. You are perfectly entitled to your wrong opinion. But this episode speaks to me because I loved Robin in the Batman the Animated Series. Robin, Dick Grayson Robin is a character that I grew up with. Um, This was the character who, when I first started watching Batman the Animated Series, uh, I instantly got attached to. I instantly wanted to own all the action figures. I wanted to dress up as him for Halloween. And I fell in love with Dick Grayson as a character because he was somebody who I could relate to. I couldn't relate to Batman as much as I wanted to. And as much as later on in life, with the amount of uh, people in my life that I can now speak to different aspects of Batman, his personality, his psyche, whatever, Dick Grayson is a character that I was immediately drawn to and immediately fell in love with. And when I found out that he wasn't Robin anymore, even after everything they'd been through together, and that he was now Nightwing and kind of working on his own, the only question in my mind in this entire season was what happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? I need to know. And this episode finally gives us the answers to that. This episode uh, recounts Dick Grayson graduating from college, his relationship with Barbara, the split between Batman and Robin that led to uh, Batman being partnerless for however long he was before Tim Drake came along. And you get to see certain aspects of these characters bleed into each other, and you get to see how the events of the past have consequences and how they affect the events of the present uh some of the some of my favorite moments don't even come from the flashback some of my favorite moments are in the kind of dialogue between um robin and nightwing between tim drake and dick grayson uh there's a moment where tim drake asks you know the question that we all wanted to know is you know whatever happened to you guys and dick grayson says things change and you know tim drake says yeah i bet And Dick Grayson says, you should ask him. And Tim Drake goes, I did. And you'll never guess what he said. Things change. And you see that as far away as they are from each other, and this season really tried its best to say that these are two separate characters who are on their two own paths, and they, anytime they're together, they always butt heads. How similar they are as people, especially in this new Nightwing persona. Dick Grayson has become more uh, stoic, more aloof. And you really get to see how much of Batman's influence has kind of permeated its way into how Dick Grayson carries himself, not just in his 
uh, Nightwing persona, but in his day-to-day life as well. So I absolutely love this episode. This gave us a bunch of backstory, a fantastically written episode as well. And I really think that if you are a fan of Robin and you love that story of transitioning from his boyhood career as Robin the Boy Wonder into Nightwing, you will love this episode as much as I do. And now we move on to number five. We're in the top five, ladies and gentlemen, and it is at number five, The Laughing Fish, which aired on January 10th of 1993 and is an episode from the first season of Batman the Animated Series. Here is the synopsis. Joker unleashes a toxin into Gotham City's harbors, causing all the fish affected to mutate into Joker fish, with a deformed smile clearly resembling his own. The Clown Prince of Crime's plan is far more bizarre, and he soon reveals to the world his desire to copyright the fish, and thus gain a percentage over all sold fish in the Gotham area. So, that synopsis sounds ridiculous. I'll... I'll say it so you don't have to. It sounds friggin' ridiculous, but this is an episode that immediately sets itself apart from other episodes just by the title card. If you have watched any episode of the Batman the Animated Series, you know that prior to each episode, you know, starting up, they get a little title card where it kind of gives like an art deco, um, little uh, graphic with the title on it this is the one and only episode from the original uh from the original three seasons where there was no title card the title just flashes up in the beginning of the episode and immediately there is a change you can tell that this episode is special and it's special because this is a true blue batman versus the joker story This is Batman utilizing his allies, Alfred, Jim Gordon, Harvey Bullock, up against the Joker. And even though the premise is really silly, the episode itself can get really dark and really um, disturbing in a way. So it's one of my favorite episodes. It was one of the initial, I want to say, like first five episodes I ever saw of the show. And this was the first episode that I ever saw that featured the Joker. So this was my introduction to the Joker as a character. And I fell in love with him immediately from his laugh to how uh, he can take something really silly and make it terrifying uh this is the joker on full display a lot of people would put um joker's favor above this i can see that i can see how you would feel that way but this story which pulls from i think two or three different classic comic stories really is everything about that character that i love and the interactions between the two of them are some of the best the series ever put on so that is our number five at number four we have two-face here's the synopsis On the election trail, Harvey Dent gradually loses control of his repressed evil alternate personality until gangster Rupert Thorne inadvertently unleashes it. So what I love about this episode, which, let me pull this up real quick. 
which aired on September 25th of 1992 and was an episode from the very first season. Uh, what I love about this episode is it not only revamps a character just like Heart of Ice did for Mr. Freeze, but it also recontextualizes that character in relation to Bruce Wayne. And what I mean by that is that this is not the first appearance of Harvey Dent in this show. Harvey Dent is set up episodes prior to this, including um, the Poison Ivy episode, setting him up as Bruce Wayne's civilian best friend. He is the guy who has known Bruce for, we're assuming, uh, a very long time. They're good friends, and it furthers this idea that no matter what Bruce Wayne does, he will always hurt the people closest to him. Or in any, or in this case, I guess, will be unable to save the people closest to him. And I love the aspect of this episode. This, of course, is the origin of Two-Face. This is the uh, two-part episode where Harvey Dent officially becomes Two-Face. And we get to see that transformation. We've never really, at least I don't think, up to this point have seen that origin story. I don't believe... Uh, Long Halloween had been released yet, so... Hello. That's Babs. Babs is our cat. Do you like Two-Face? Yeah, she's a fan. So, what I really like about this episode is... <laughs> Hello, Babs. Um, this is what happens when I have a laptop and I'm able to move the recording of a podcast out of my room is that now I'm sharing the space with our cat. So getting back into the episode, uh, this episode really for me was one of the defining episodes for this show. Uh, Harvey Dent, I had seen this sequentially, so I saw Harvey Dent as Bruce's best friend before I saw him turn into Two-Face. And in this episode, we get to see the debut of Big Bad Harv, which is the alternate personality of Harvey Dent. And we see that he has repressed anger issues, that this Big Bad Harv persona comes out when he is uh, under a lot of stress. And watching the whole uh, Bruce Wayne, Harvey Dent, Rupert Thorne kind of three-way dance is really exciting to watch. Even though the first, I would say the first half of this, the part one, mostly is about setup, getting us to that point where they're in the chemical plant and uh, Two-Face is born. I won't say anything else besides that because I want you to go back and watch these episodes. Um, this is an episode that I really enjoy. This is an episode that I can look back on if I'm looking for character studies, if I'm looking for a prime example of how this show was able to take a character like Two-Face, like a Mr. Freeze, and elevate them above where they were prior to the episode. So this is an episode that I think you definitely need to check out and is one of the best episodes. And I know for a lot of people, might be the best episode or their favorite episode. So I won't disagree with them, but I definitely think it is in top five for me. Now going into number three. Number three is Beware the Grey 
Ghost. But Where the Grey Ghost was an episode from the very first season and officially aired on November 4th in 1992. A lot of these episodes are from the first season, which I... uh, I think really speaks to how strong the show was right out of the gate. It did not waste any time telling you, hey, we are quality television and quality storytelling just in general. But this episode is very near and dear to my heart for a lot of reasons. Uh, Let's talk about the synopsis here. Gotham City is struck by a series of remote-activated bombings as a warning to a ransom demand. Batman realizes that the pattern of the recent bombings is based on an episode of an old television show featuring his favorite boyhood hero, the Grey Ghost. Seeking information, Batman visits the actor who played the TV hero, Simon Trent. So I love a lot about this. Um... There's so much about this episode that I love. And for, I'm, you know, there was a period in my life where I thought this was the best episode. And this was my favorite episode of the show. And that's in no small part to the storytelling aspect. The plot is really well told. Um, The animation even, I think, had like an uptick. Because the episode is just beautiful to watch like the the natural you know the regular batman animation was always really smooth and really well done but this was just on another level if you haven't watched this episode or you haven't watched it in a while go back and check this out it is surprising how timeless this show looks i mean just in general but specifically in this episode too but this also has the um the distinction, I guess, of being the very first meeting ever of two Batman in one property. That being Kevin Conroy, who of course voiced the Batman, is the iconic voice of the Batman, and the actor who played Simon Trent, the Grey Ghost in the show, is Adam West. The late Adam West, who played, of course, Batman in the 1966 live-action show. Um... This is just perfection. It really, really is. Adam West in this role is fantastic. And he is essentially playing like an avatar of himself, where uh, he was the star of this very wildly popular show back in his day. But afterwards, he couldn't find another big role because everyone just saw him as this role. And so you get to see the realities of Hollywood and how, you know, how big a star can fall after it's reached, you know, as high as it can go. And I think that's really cool that Adam West kind of allowed himself to be almost uh, part of an autobiographical autobiographical episode um, while still being this fictional character. And him working with Batman in this is just so cool. And having both Adam West and Kevin Conroy in the same... Uh, space occupying the same show, occupying the same plot, is just so well done. You also get to see how much of a dork uh, Batman is a little bit, because in the, uh, again, light spoilers, light spoilers, in the Batcave you find out that um, 
that Bruce Wayne was a devout Grey Ghost fan back when he was a kid. And you see that even now, he still has a shrine to the Grey Ghost. And you see that a lot of the mannerisms from the Grey Ghost were taken and kind of repurposed into the persona of the Batman. There's even a shot-for-shot comparison in the episode between the movement and the general, I guess, blocking and framing of the Grey Ghost in this TV show and Batman's actual movements within the uh, plot of the episode. So I love it. It's a fantastic episode. Uh, Adam West kills it like he always does. Kevin Conroy and Adam West are... It's basically like those old-school... and even recent uh, Doctor Who episodes where there's two Doctors in one episode. It just feels right, and it feels amazing, and this is an incredible story with a great twist at the end as well, and a redemption story, really, for the main character, which is not Batman in this episode. And for those reasons and more, it is why this episode is at the number three position. Now, top two. These two... um, at times can be interchangeable, and I will admit that. Um, There are times where even just compiling this list, I flip-flopped the number two and the number one positions, but after re-watching each one a couple times, I settled on these positions for these episodes. So at number two, we have Almost Got Him. Almost Got Him is an episode, again, in the first season of Batman the Animated Series, and aired on November 10th of 1992. And this episode really, I think, encompasses everything that is good with Batman the Animated Series. If you want a perfect entry point into the show, as well as an episode that I think represents the show as a whole, this is it. This is the quintessential Batman the Animated Series episode. So let's jump into the synopsis. The Joker, Killer Croc, The Penguin, Two-Face, and Poison Ivy all meet at a poker table, each telling a tale of times when they almost got Batman. So this is one of my favorites. Uh, Of course because it's number two, but also because of the way that the story is structured. Uh, It's a very uh, day-in-the-life kind of episode as it starts. Uh, The villains kind of all meeting up in some secret uh, hideout, some secret like dive bar where I guess all of Batman's rogues gallery hangs out. Uh, We've seen this kind of uh, trope, this kind of uh, story beat in uh, other aspects. You know, the rogues have their bar in Central City. Uh, The bar with no name is in uh, Marvel. So we've seen this before, but what they do here is they make these characters feel like people. And I know that sounds really, like, cliche, but this episode really does that. It really takes these characters who you don't often see teaming up in this show, and I think that's that speaks to the quality of the show and that it didn't have to rely on villains teaming up as a gimmick very often. In fact, there are very few episodes where villains actually team up with each other. Um, Most of them have just, it's solo Batman, sometimes with Robin, versus this villain. And 
this episode brings them all together in kind of like a uh, one of those reality show reunion episodes and you get to see them kind of like dish on the stuff that they've done where they're like no i've come the closest no i've come the closest i threw a rock at him like my favorite interactions between these characters come from this episode uh two-face penguin killer croc joker and poison ivy these characters could not be more different from each other but this episode also really plays on continuity there's a moment when uh poison ivy sits down at first and her and two-face are really kind of catty with each other and i love the interaction where uh they sit down and poison ivy's like how you doing harv and two-face goes one or like half of me wants to strangle you and she says the other half and he goes the other wants to hit you with a truck (laughs) And she goes, we used to date. And everyone's like, oh. And just that, like, keeping that continuity where Poison Ivy's first appearance was she almost killed Harvey Dent back before he was Two-Face. And I love that. This is almost a celebration of these characters and of this show. And almost acts as a really nice, if not a finale, like a real nice, like, epilogue or a coda to the series. You can watch this episode at literally any point in your watching of the show and it can feel like a finale or can also be just like a nice break from some of the more um deep and dark episodes that batman the animated series definitely had but for me this really is just perfection with this show this is a perfect batman the animated series episode and really a perfect batman story in general and that is my number two but it is not the best episode from batman the animated series that honor goes to robin's reckoning Airing on February 7th of 1993, it is also an episode from the first season, and here is the synopsis. When Robin discovers that the thug who murdered his parents, an extortion criminal named Tony Zuko, is back in Gotham City, he recalls the events of his life as a young circus performer and the tragedy that made him an orphan. Wanting to capture the criminal by himself, Robin rebels after Batman attempts to shut him out of the investigation. This episode is the best episode this show ever produced. It is a two-part episode, and it was the very first episode that I ever saw. And for me, no episode ever got better than this. Some episodes got close. Almost got them very close. But this episode throughout my entire relationship with the Batman and the animated series really stands head and shoulders above every single other episode. Uh, This episode also earned uh, Batman the Animated Series an Emmy for Most Outstanding Half Hour or Less Program and features the origin of Robin without being a straight-up origin story because the episode kind of goes back and forth from present day to past and in the present day robin gets the name 
of the man who killed his parents and finds out that he's in Gotham somewhere. And so he decides to go after him after figuring out everything that uh, Batman has kind of been keeping from him. And this is also juxtaposed by the flashbacks, which feature the origin of Robin. We get to see Dick Grayson as a member of Haley's Circus. We get to see his parents drop to their death in one of the most jaw-dropping sequences. It was, it's just so tense watching his parents in their final trapeze act before they die. And it is so incredibly well done. The score is incredible. The writing is fantastic. The acting is superb. The animation is amazing. This episode is the pinnacle of this show. This episode has everything that you want in an episode of Batman the Animated Series. And also furthers the relationship between two of between really the best partnership in all of dc comics if not all of comics in general batman and robin is synonymous with teamwork the dynamic duo is so at the core of these characters and watching that relationship be established in the flashbacks and also go through its most uh harrowing trial really is just a perfect storm for storytelling and for an incredible episode of this series. Um, this is the episode I always recommend to people if they want to watch Batman the Animated Series. You need to do yourself a favor if you haven't seen this, if you haven't watched it in a while, go back, watch both part one and part two, and this episode really delivers everything that you would want in a story like this. Um, I talked earlier about the uh, Two-Face two-parter and other two-parters in this show where while the second part really delivers, the first part is kind of lackluster and is all set up. This episode doesn't do that. Both part one and part two are packed full of emotional highs and really, really solid action. So this is, I think, as perfect an episode as you can get with this show. This is my favorite episode. It has always been my favorite episode. And it reigns supreme as the best Batman the Animated Series episode ever. To recap, at number 10, we have POV. At number 9, we have Mad Love. At number seven, we have Over the Edge. At number, oh, wait. At number eight, we have Over the Edge. At number seven, we have Heart of Ice. Number six is Old Wounds. Number five is The Laughing Fish. Number four is Two-Face. Number three, Beware the Gray Ghost. Number two, Almost Got Him. And number one, Robin's Reckoning. Now, you can find all of these episodes as well as every single other episode in Batman the Animated Series on the DC Universe streaming service and app. They are not a sponsor of this podcast, but they could be a sponsor. And I think it is the best place for you to find these episodes. You pay however much dollars it is. I think it's like 10 bucks a month, and you get every single episode, along with every single episode of the Superman animated series, every single episode of Static Shock, every single episode of Teen Titans, um, all of these cartoons that were spawned out of the DC Comics really owe their success to the groundwork that was laid by Batman the Animated Series. And 
As iconic as this show is and will always be, the show was at its best and never better than when it told the story of Robin's Reckoning. And of course, that beautifully kitschy bop can only mean one thing. It is time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And this week we are reviewing episode number five of The Boys, titled Good for the Soul. Now this episode is, um, I'm not going to say it's a weak episode, because it's absolutely not. But I would say with the momentum from the past two episodes, episode three and episode four, uh, I was a little, I don't want to say let down, but I was um, I was kind of expecting more. We did get some groundbreaking stuff, which I thought was is really essential to what I'm assuming is going to be uh, some big stuff down the line. But I thought that the episode as a whole had a lot of stuff that I... Um, I wasn't sure how to feel about. So we're going to start off with uh, A-Train and Popclaw. Uh, we find out that uh, Popclaw has been kind of kept in some like secret bunker after A-Train found out about um, her basically leaking his, uh, his Compound V dealings to uh, the boys. And it's at the beginning of this episode where... A-Train starts the second half of the series just like he started off the first half of the series by killing a woman. Um, he basically, before Popclaw is able to realize what's happening, he super speeds and overdoses her on what I'm assuming is heroin. And it's really sad. It's really sad. And you come to find out that this was an order from uh, Homelander after uh, he found out about everything. So... I thought that was uh, really tragic and really sad. She didn't deserve that. But um, this just continues to show how awful pieces of garbage Homelander and A-Train are. To juxtapose that, we have Huey and Annie, whose relationship only grew if not went through some really bumpy, uh, bumpy road in this episode. And that is because of the Believe Expo. The... Uh, the big old Bible camp slash rock concert uh, that is being uh, headlined by Homelander and Starlight. Uh, it was really interesting being someone who uh, went to youth group when I was younger and also uh, went to like week-long camps like this. It was uh, interesting to see how this uh this universe kind of blends that with the um with the superheroics of uh you know homelander and the rest of the seven uh it really i thought it was interesting how during the i guess the sermon uh Ezekiel was basically attributing the uh 
the development and the appearance of superpowered people to acts of God. And I think it's a really touchy subject when you get into stuff like that. But I also really enjoyed how they handled it here because you see that there are people who are devout, just believing in everything that is being preached here. And you have characters like Annie who goes through a lot in this episode, basically showing the incredible amounts of pressure that her mom puts on her just in her day-to-day life and how she is kind of forced to lie to like this teen panel that she is uh, making an appearance for. And then she has like a a presentation for the greater uh, expo where she kind of just says, you know, screw it, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to go by what the teleprompter says and I'm going to be completely honest about who I am. And she admits to having had sex before. She admits to uh, not being completely, um, I guess, good or devout in her Christian ways. And she reveals that she was sexually assaulted by um, a superpowered person and you see the reactions to everybody by this and you know that on top of the horrible stuff that uh, the deep has already experienced so far things are just going to get worse and I am here for it I am excited for the deep to go through some shit I really really am Um, so Great stuff all around from Annie, speaking her truth, and then at the very end she has this really cathartic moment with Huey, who in a way kind of comes clean about his uh, relationship with her, admitting that um, his girlfriend died and that he is unable to really move past that, which is shown throughout the episode by, um, I can only assume... Uh, hallucinations or ghost of Robin popping up throughout the episode and really well done but I have I'm curious on where they're going to go next with this relationship because it seems like they're on you know better ground but still kind of shaky and uneven so we'll see where it goes from there we also got the truth about compound v sort of um Butcher and M.M. go to what I'm assuming is some kind of facility where they kind of trace the compound V back to. And you see that whether it's um, Vought or someone else, babies are being injected with compound V. And it's not just a performance enhancer in this show. It is legit how people are getting their powers, how people are getting their abilities. And that's both horrifying and at the same time Um, really interesting when it comes to the ideas of who decides who gets what powers. So I really liked that that revelation, and this is only going to further the uh, endless duel between Billy Butcher and Homelander and the rest of the Seven. Uh, We also got developments on Frenchie and the female after Frenchie was basically burned by... um, by them having uh, 
a teddy bear cam in Popclaw's apartment when the boys confronted her after she killed her landlord. So he's burned, basically, and he has to decide on whether to release the female who has been kind of in their captivity this whole time or to leave her to be found by the Seven and probably killed. He decides to let her go. She escapes, and then Frenchie is confronted by Black Noir, who nearly kills him until the female intervenes, and they have a standoff. They fight, and then Black Noir seemingly kills the female and then runs off. Frenchie comes back and finds her dead body, and it's really sad, and I was really... uh, I was really kind of broken up about it until they revealed that she has Wolverine-like healing abilities, which I don't remember her having in the comic, but I could be wrong, but it's been a long time since I read that comic, and I don't remember her having that kind of ability. But she is one of the supers, and she is going to be a an invaluable asset to the boys going forward. And the episode ends with Frenchie saying something that I think is really interesting, being how, like, quote-unquote spiritual the episode was, with uh, him basically saying, you're a miracle. And we all know now that that's not the case, because superpowers seem to be manufactured, whether by Vod or by some other entity, with Compound V. And then finally, we get some really awkward uh, interactions between Homelander and uh, Madeline Stillwell, where... Homelander shows up to give his speech at Believe Expo. Uh, Madeline isn't there, so he goes to find her and finds out that she has a doctor's appointment for her baby. And Homelander's continuing this weird, like, Oedipal thing with Madeline where he's really jealous of the baby. And Stillwell even says, like, we need boundaries. And at, at uh, at the Expo... He goes off script and basically talks about how he was anointed by God to protect everyone and use his powers to save everybody. And it's really awkward. Um, I'm not sure. I wasn't sure how to feel. I was like, I was literally watching this whole, like, this whole megalomaniacal speech that Homelander is giving, like, all scrunched up and like, oh, you shouldn't be saying that. And it was really interesting, and the development of Homelander as a character has been one of the most interesting parts of this show. And watching him go from, you know, you know, public, ah, shucks face of the Seven to this scheming, um, rebellious guy has been really, really cool to see. And then we get this weird... Um, this weird scene with him and Stillwell at the end where she reveals that he she knows that he's been peeping on her this whole time, which was set up in an earlier episode. And um, I find it really awkward how he, you know, kind of like nestled in her lap and like he, she like opened up her shirt as if to like simulate breastfeeding him. It's weird. It's really, 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 really weird. But I can't take my eyes off it when I'm watching. So uh, they're doing something right. They're making some really um, compelling uh, television at least. So 
That is the review of episode five of The Boys. Let me know what you thought about this. Have you already binged the show? Are you watching the show? Are you watching it along with me? I would love that if you were watching it along with me, but I can understand wanting to binge it. I want to watch uh, the rest of the episodes as well, but I am holding steadfast with this series we only have three episodes left in the weekly review before we turn it over to uh, arrow in october so let me know what you've thought of the show so far uh who your favorite character is and uh for now we will jump over to this week's comics countdown Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should take a look at. We'll be talking about each book's title, the creative team behind each book, as well as a brief synopsis of each book as well. And of course, each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you would like me to try out for this segment, please feel free to request them at either of our social medias, at Pod. that's at P-O-D, or through email, because I'm an old man, I still read emails, to geeksplained at gmail.com. We've got nine books for you this week. Ladies and gentlemen, count them up, nine books. Um, but before we get to those books, we have to talk about the Geeksplained Pick of the Week of last week. And let me tell you, we had some strong contenders last week. Uh, Justice League number 31 with the return of the JSA. Doomsday Clock number 11, the penultimate issue. But this, this was so close. But it ended up being House of X number 4 of 6. Written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Pepe Larraz. This book just edged out Doomsday Clock number 11 for the pick of the week. Uh, the book was just fantastic all around. Just everything. Uh, picking up on the uh, suicide run of the X-Men trying to take out the Mother Mold, which is a turning point for their history and all the past lives of Moira X. So... This uh, this book was just fantastic. Uh, heavy spoilers for this book. Um, everyone died. Everyone died. I just couldn't. I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe everybody died. Now, obviously, this is going to be undone in some way for the Dawn of X, where we see characters who did die in this book um, front and center in the. Uh, in these solicitations, but I cannot wait to see the next chapter of the story, especially with the end of the issue, which got um, surprisingly political. And I don't, maybe not surprise, maybe surprisingly isn't the right word, but um, the X Men have always kind of been political figures with their uh, their whole concept being based out of um equal rights out of uh, minorities out of people with different sexual orientations fighting for acceptance but the some of the lines at the very end of this were very uh transparent which i was both surprised and really impressed by and um you owe yourself if, especially if you're an X-Men fan, do already be picking up these issues. But definitely if you haven't been able to uh, read 
uh, House of X number four. It is an incredible story and reminds me why I love the X-Men as characters. But that's last week. Let's talk about this week's books, starting off with Young Justice number eight, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by John Timms. This is continuing on with the Young Justice kind of uh, running around the multiverse. And last we saw, they popped up on Earth 3, which is the Earth of the Crime Syndicate. And found they just ran headfirst into their Earth 3 counterparts. So let's jump into the synopsis here. Lost in the multiverse, the heroes of Young Justice must stay together as they fight to find their way home. Too bad they're about to cross paths with their own evil lookalikes. Plus, the secrets of Jenny Hex are revealed in a special sequence illustrated by Elena Casagrande. Get set for some of the craziest stuff you've seen in years. Spoilers! So I don't know what that last uh, parentheses means, but uh, maybe we'll run into the Stephanie Brown of this, of Earth 3. We know that she's spoiler on our Earth, but we don't know uh, whether she's a hero, whether she's a villain on Earth 3. So I'm excited to see where they go with that. Uh, next up, we have Detective Comics number 1011, written by Pete J. Tomasi with art by Christian Deuce. Uh, or Duce, Duce? I pronounced your name wrong, and I'm so sorry. But this book has been incredibly strong. We're going with the uh, Trapped on an Island storyline. It's lost, but with Batman, um, which would have made that show so much better. Uh, but it's basically Batman versus Deadshot along with all of the indigenous um, creatures that are on this island. Been really good so far. Uh, Tomasi's run on Detective Comics has been fantastic, and I'm sure this issue is going to be no different. So let's jump into the synopsis here. In order to carry out his contract and get what he's owed, Deadshot must kill Lucius Fox. Batman isn't about to let that happen, but without the use of lethal force, does he stand a chance against Deadshot? Plus, Mr. Freeze sets the last piece of his Year of the Villain master plan in motion. So yeah, uh, Batman vs. Deadshot, I've spoken about this before, is some of my favorite uh, pairings when it comes to adversaries, and this book is going to be so good. Really excited about this. Another book I'm really excited about, Miles Morales' Spider-Man number 10, written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Javi Garon and uh, cover by Mahmoud Asrar. So good, so good, so good. Um... Even though the book itself has kind of um, kind of dropped in quality just from the art, just from the art, the writing has been stellar this entire time. Um, I'm really excited for this issue because this is somehow being um, episode 250 of Miles Morales. I don't know how they're getting that number. Um, but we will see exactly what that entails. This is the big issue that is supposed to... Uh, really shake up Miles Morales' world and really kind of get him on the path that he's supposed to be going in it. It's teasing the return of the Ultimate Green Goblin, who is such a big fixture in the Ultimate Universe. So I'm excited. Let's jump into the synopsis here. Spider Semi-Cinquentennial, or Big 25th Anniversary Issue. That's right. It's our 250th issue, and it's Miles Morales' birthday. But you're getting all the gifts. 
a mystery dating back to Miles' first appearance, answered, a terrifying villain destined to become one of Miles' greatest adversaries, revealed. Special guests, like maybe Peter Parker, Spider-Man, you know it. All busting out of 25 pages by main series storytellers Saladin Ahmed and Javier Garon, plus a bonus backup by Ahmed and a special guest artist delving into the history of your new favorite character, Starling. Your FOMO is well-founded. Don't miss it. So, I don't know about you, but I have been really interested in Starling since she debuted in this book, and I'm interested to see what they do with her. Uh, I have a sneaky suspicion that the artist is going to be Patrick O'Keefe, who was the uh, main art, di art director on uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and has been doing uh, the covers for the book recently. So that would be really cool. I'm excited to see what they do with this character, and uh, hopefully we're going to get some clues on where they go next with him. Next up, we have Batman Universe, number three of six, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Nick Darrington. Uh, this book has just been so good. So, 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 so good. And it reminds me of Batman Brave and the Bold, where Batman is kind of uh, trying to retain this semi-realistic tone with wacky stuff going on around him. They went to Gorilla City last issue with Green Arrow um, and teaming up with characters in his universe as well. So I'm excited. Let's delve into the synopsis here available to comic shops for the first time the hunt for the fabergé egg and the secrets it contains continues across the dc universe as batman escapes thanagar and gorilla city only to land with green lantern on dinosaur island can these heroes stop vandal savage before he unlocks the egg's secrets so that sounds cool. Uh, I enjoy Bruce Wayne, Hal Jordan, Batman, Green Lantern, respectively, team-ups. Um, there's just something special about uh, Batman anytime he interacts with any of the Green Lanterns, Guy Gardner specifically. But his interactions with uh, Hal Jordan are always fun, and I'm really excited to see what this book does. Next up, we have Invaders number 9, written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by both Carlos Magno and Butch Geese, or Goose, or I pronounced your name wrong, and I am, I am sorry. But this book has been so, so good, and I'm really, really excited to see where they go with it next, so let's jump into the synopsis. Dead in the Water continues. It's war as Namor takes on Roxxon. Meanwhile, Captain America and the Winter Soldier recruit a classic invader in their attempts to bring Namor to justice and stop his infiltration of the world's governments. So this has been so good. It's really turned into some kind of like political thriller, spy epic. The writing is fantastic. Chip Zdarsky never fails to put out a solid book. And the art by both Carlos Magno and Butch Guise, or Guise, or Guise, um, while uh, inconsistent, has been really good across the board. So I'm really excited to open up this book. Next up, we have Event Leviathan, number four of six, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Alex Maleev. Alex Maleev continues to kill it with the art here. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis's writing is how it is. You've all, uh, you all know my stance on him as a writer for DC, but him having three books on our list this week must 
tell you something about the uh, about the quality of the stuff for these specific books. So uh, the book's been really good. I've been really interested in the uh, spy aspect, and I am excited to see where they go next with the cliffhanger of Superman confronting Leviathan from last issue. So let's jump into the synopsis here. Batman versus Superman. Witness the interrogation of the decade as Bruce Wayne tears into Superman to find the missing piece of the Leviathan puzzle they both need. It's a battle of wits and wills as the greatest detectives in the universe get together to figure out the why and how of Leviathan before it's too late. And when that doesn't work, in comes Lois Lane. So, book's been really good. Again, the Alex Maleev art is really what brings me to the dance when it comes to this book. But uh, I've been really intrigued by the mystery of who Leviathan is. And I hope that it's not a letdown. I hope that it's not an original character, even though I'm sure they can make it work. Um, hopefully this furthers uh, our journey into finding out who Leviathan is. Next up, we have King Thor, number one of four, written by Jason Aaron with Asad Ribich on, or Ribic on art. Um, I'm excited. This is it. This is the end of the road. This is the Logan for Thor. Um, this is the end of the line, the finale of the Jason run, or the, <laughs> the Jason run, the Jason Aaron run on Thor. So I'm excited. Let's not waste any time. Let's jump into the synopsis here. Superstars Jason Aaron and Asad Ribic conclude their epic Thor story. The creators of the legendary Thor, God of Thunder series that kicked off one of the most epic runs in Marvel history are back together for one last ride with the almighty Lord of Asgard. Seven years ago, Jason and Asad introduced the Thor of the far future. All father of a broken realm and a dying universe, as he stood in battle against the Butcher of Gods, wielder of all black, the Necrosword. Now that nefarious blade has returned, in the hands of Thor's all-time greatest enemy, his brother, Loki, for one final cataclysmic showdown. Behold the book no comics fan should miss, the celebration of the end of a truly marvelous era. You gotta pick up this book. You have to. Even if you haven't been picking up the Jason Aaron run, which, why? Um, this is the end of an era for Thor. We don't know where he goes after this, because... Jason Aaron has literally told the beginning, the middle, and now he's about to write the end of Thor's story. So I don't know where he goes as a character, but I'm excited to see what happens and where this book takes the, uh, the finale for his run. Next up, almost there, folks, Batman number 78, written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann. Uh, this book has been so good. It's just been so, 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 so good, and we are heading into the uh, final stretch of Tom King's Batman run. But first, before we get into the final five issues, issues 80, or I guess six issues, issues 80 through 85, um, we're getting kind of a break. We're getting like a nice interlude, a nice intermission, uh, starring Batman and Catwoman, trying to get them ready before they head back into Gotham to try and take it back from Bane. So let's jump into the synopsis here. 
In the first part of a City of Bane interlude, Batman receives help from an ally he thought he had lost for good, Catwoman. Still recovering from the beatings he took from Bane and the Flashpoint Batman, the Dark Knight readies himself for a return to Gotham City, and it's Selina Kyle who holds the key. She knows how Bane is fueling his regime, and she'll help Batman shut down the supply line, but first, she has to whip the battered hero into shape. So yeah, this is basically, I'm assuming, issues 78 and 79 are going to be a two-part kind of getting Batman back into finding form. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I've seen preview pages. Clayman is an incredible artist, and I'm really, really excited to see what they do before we head into the endgame for Tom King's Batman run. And finally, the big book of the week, the book that I think you should be picking up for sure, is Powers of Ten, number four of six, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by R.B. Silva. Uh, this is continuing on, picking up where uh, House of X left off. Um, we're heading into the home stretch, the last few issues of each book, both House of X and Powers of Ten, as we head into the Dawn of X. I'm really excited to see where they go, especially with the end of House of X number four, with uh, Xavier basically saying no more. Those are big words when it comes to the X-Men. Those words carry a lot of power, so I'm excited to see where this book goes. Let's jump into the synopsis here. As Cerebro does as it was intended to do. Sinister does what Sinister does best, and the future comes to an end. Superstar writer Jonathan Hickman continues his reshaping of X-History alongside breakout artist R.B. Silva. The future of the X-Men begins here. So we know now that the previous issues of Powers of Ten were taking place in Moira's ninth lifetime, and that we are, in this book, existing in the tenth life. We don't know where Moira is. We haven't seen her at all in this book, uh, at least in the modern-day portions of it. So I'm really excited. Hopefully we get some uh, insight as to where she is. Also, uh, you know Mr. Sinister is going to be up to no good, so I'm really looking forward to this book, especially with how good uh, House of X was last week. Um, Jonathan Hickman is changing the game when it comes to the X-Men, and I cannot wait to pick this book up. So to recap, we have Young Justice number 8, Detective Comics number 1011, Miles Morales' Spider-Man number 10, Batman Universe number 3 of 6, Invaders number 9, Event Leviathan, number four of six. King Thor, number one of four. Batman, number 78. And Powers of Ten, number four of six. Let me know if I missed any books. I always love being um, tuned in to new books that I haven't picked up before or books that maybe I'm kind of underselling. So let me know if you've been reading any of these books, what you think of uh, Jonathan Hickman's X-Men run so far. I will say for me, I have absolutely been loving it, and I cannot wait for the dawn of X. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, looking at the Geeksplain mailbag, we have nothing for this week, so make sure you get in your questions for next week's segment. Um, let me know what you thought of everything we talked about today. What is your top 10 episodes or even a top five of batman the animated series and what is your favorite episode of all time what was the first episode you watched i would love to know when you 
started watching the series, whether it was part of your childhood like it was mine, or if you got tuned into it later on in life. I would love to have that conversation with you. Feel free to, of course, let us know at Pod. that's at P-O-D on Instagram or Twitter, or to geeksplained at gmail.com. Also, feel free to give us a rating and a review on iTunes. Helps us out a lot and gets us into the um, atmosphere of other listeners just like you. And uh, thank you very much for listening all the way through. Um, I can't say enough good things about uh, Batman the Animated Series. It is something that shaped my childhood and it is something that will stay with me for a good long while. Uh, Stay tuned next week for more uh, good geek stuff. We are heading into uh, our episode 75, our big landmark episode, and I cannot be more excited about it. I'm so excited about episode 75. We're talking about something that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, So that is in two weeks' time. So stay tuned for that and for next week as well. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Zana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.